Morena and welcome to the Dawn Chorus at the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. Today I'm taking a closer look at the Reserve Bank's monetary policy statement that came out yesterday, which surprised a few people because it took a more hawkish view of the future than some were expecting. The Reserve Bank included its forecast for the official cash rate for the first time since COVID really. And in the past, it's included what it called it un its unconstrained OCR track. But the forecast shows the Reserve Bank expects to put up the official cash rate from the middle of next year, 2022, and over the following two years, increase it by about 150 basis points to around about 1.75%. Now that was slightly faster and higher than a lot of people in the markets expected. And that's why the New Zealand dollar rose almost a cent to a three-month high of about 73.3 US cents late yesterday. It has come off overnight. We also saw wholesale interest rates rise about 10 basis points. Now, this may not thrill the Reserve Bank because in theory, they put out a result yesterday that was um, no change, nothing to see here. And Adrian Orr was quite cautious, I suppose, when he came out, came out and said... Uh, that people shouldn't look too closely at those projections for the official cash rate. He said, quote, we're talking about the second half of next year. Who knows where we will be by then? So he's trying to play down a bit this um, hawkish view that the market's taken of yesterday's monetary policy statement. However, uh, I think the market were right in interpreting it as a slightly more hawkish view, not just because of the OCR track, but because the Monetary Policy Committee and the Reserve Bank removed a couple of key phrases from its main statement. It removed the phrase about um, potentially needing to further loosen monetary policy by potentially going into negative interest rates. They took that out completely, and that um, was seen as reasonably hawkish. Now, um, what should the Reserve Bank be doing? Well, um, I'm, a, I'm of the view it should keep the accelerator hard to the floor, uh, redline the economy, blow the cobwebs out and get some real inflation back in. That it shouldn't hike until it sees the whites of the eyes of inflation. That's what the Reserve Bank of Australia and the US Federal Reserve are doing. They've taken a view for quite some time now that they want to see average inflation over the long run at around about 2%. Now, that doesn't sound too different from what we've got, but they're saying that inflation was below 2% for a good 10 years after the global financial crisis. And so they want to see inflation above 2%, maybe for the next 10 years, to effectively average out over the long run around 2%. So that means they're expecting inflation, or they want to get inflation up over 2%, you know, potentially 3 4% for some periods, and, and really push the economy hard to get exit velocity away from this liquidity, liquidity trap and very low inflation we've been in for a decade. I also think um, a lot of people are underestimating the deflationary forces that are out there in the economy. I know everyone's talking about high um, container rates on shipping routes from China to New Zealand and you know the big rise in commodity prices and various other price pressures that are coming through and the surveys showing that businesses here are hoping to put up their prices. The trouble is they've been hoping to put up their prices for a decade now and haven't actually managed to make those price increases stick. 
and we still haven't seen much wage inflation coming through. So in my view, I think the Reserve Bank should keep the foot to the floor and also make sure that it really does embed in people's minds expectations that inflation are going to be around 2% in the long run on average. Because it's been 10 years now where the Reserve Bank has said, right, as soon as we see the first hint of inflation, we'll put up interest rates. And they do. But uh, twice in the last decade, we've had false starts. And for those people who might have fixed their interest rates for five years, thinking, right, we're on the verge of a big increase in interest rates, they've had to reverse that later on. And all of this talk from central banks about how house prices were overvalued and as soon as interest rates went up, then they'd stop rising or maybe even fall, uh, will fall on deaf ears. There's a risk here the Reserve Bank is seen to be crying wolf too many times. And it sort of cried wolf a little bit uh, in yesterday's monetary policy statement with a little section on house price sustainability. Although, interestingly, it said essentially that house prices are currently sustainable at their current levels because the underlying fundamentals around supply and demand, particularly the restrictions on land use in the fast-growing cities and high net migration have meant that house prices have been sustainable until now. It suggests that the government's move on tax and also, again, the potential rise in interest rates will uh, see house prices um, flatten out from here and potentially even fall. But again, you want to be careful about crying wolf about fast rising interest rates and fast falling house prices when you've been warning about it for 10 years and it hasn't happened. Right, let's look at what else is happening. Um, keep an eye on the slight delay in the rollout of the Pfizer vaccine, which we all thought was going to start at the beginning of July, but now looks like it's going to be towards the end of July and we still haven't seen that big dump of Pfizer vaccines arrived at the airport and no one seems too sure about when exactly it's going to arrive. And it means I think people should get ready to um, put off their overseas travel plans until I think 2023. Remember the Reserve Bank has said it doesn't really expect people to start flying beyond the Trans-Tasman bubble until early 2022. Australia's Treasury said in its budget a couple of weeks ago that it doesn't see a real opening of the borders until mid-2022, so that's the middle of next year. And remember, because of our connections to Australia, the fact that many people bounce on to us from Australia and that we have a trans-Tasman bubble, we are really in the hands of the Australians here. If they don't open up until mid-2022, we won't either. And the Australian rollout is, is really going even worse than ours. Um, ours is going okay. It's a little bit well, not behind schedule, it's a relatively low percentage of the population who are now vaccinated, around 5%. Uh, America got to 50% overnight. And the Australians are not much further ahead than us, and they are relying largely on the AstraZeneca vaccine, which has had trouble, and they may have trouble getting to herd immunity, as, as we will, and as many are. Getting beyond that 50 to 60% mark is proving difficult for a lot of countries. Now, the other thing to watch today is Melbourne. Looks like they could go into a um, circuit breaker snap lockdown, a bit like the one they had in February of five days. There's this outbreak in one part of the city uh, where people have visited 70 sites over the last week while they were out in the wild uh, with COVID-19. That's not encouraging, so watch out for that later today. 
that, of course, would put put a real hole in the Trans-Tasman bubble. We also got more follow-up from yesterday's scoop in politic from Richard Harmon about how Labour and National quietly agreed to drop Raymond Huao and Jian Yang as MPs before the last election because of security officials' concerns about their links to the Chinese government. Jacinda Ardern said yesterday she could neither confirm nor deny that any of that happened. And Judith Collins and Todd Muller uh, uh, also <laughs> could neither confirm or deny. Uh, that says to me that um, that story is right. And uh, I know from my own reporting and the um, comments from various people around Wellington that this was another one of these deals done in quiet just to not embarrass anyone at the time. But uh, it's clear many people were worried about those connections to China, particularly Jian Yang who, as Newsroom reported in 2017, uh, worked to train spies in China for a decade and was a member of the Chinese Communist Party. And um, you don't go back and forth to China unless you remain as a member of the Chinese Communist Party. Look out today, too, for a, for a, very, for a very good report from the Productivity Commission. It, there's nothing new in it, really. It's just a nice wrap-up of how poorly we've done on productivity over the last 20 or 30 years, where essentially we've fallen... 20 or 30% behind Australia in terms of output per hour worked. Really, that's a, that, that then turns into a difference in wages between Australia and New Zealand. And it means that on average, we're working about 34 hours a week compared to about 32 elsewhere in the OECD and producing $68 worth of output per hour versus 85 in the OECD. Good long-term chart in today's Storm Chorus showing how basically we were in line with everyone else up until about the 50s or 60s and then really fell behind from the late 1980s onwards. Now overseas last night, key thing to watch here is again around COVID. Joe Biden has asked America's intelligence agencies to take a really close look at where COVID-19 came from. There's a Wall Street Journal investigation from a couple of days ago that has really got the story going again about the potential that it came from a lab in Wuhan. Now, for a long time, a lot of people thought that was just a conspiracy theory cooked up by a bunch of people from all around the internet, and China certainly denied it. But um, this Wall Street Journal investigation has really um, said there's a strong possibility it could have come out of the lab. So this is not going to um, improve relationships between the United States and China. On the climate change front, really big news overnight where the Dutch, uh, a court in Holland, has ruled that Shell, the global oil major, will have to shrink its emissions by 45% from its 2019 levels by 2030. That's so it complies with human rights law. Really interesting way to challenge the big oil companies on climate emissions. And then across the Atlantic, in America overnight, Exxon, one of the biggest oil companies, has had to, be, has had to put two climate activists onto its board after a climate activist hedge fund called Engine Number no. 1 managed to get enough votes together from shareholders to put a couple of activists on the board. Those are going to be fun board meetings. And for um, amusement and um, sadness, really, I think it's worth looking at this extraordinary appearance overnight by Dominic Cummings to a select committee in the British Parliament, where he absolutely unleashed on Boris Johnson. said all sorts of incredibly rude and damaging things. Um, I won't go into all of them. They're all there. 
uh, it really was one of those popcorn moments for uh, Politico watchers in, in Britain. I'm not sure it tells us anything we don't already know. Um, Johnson is a bit of a dickhead, basically, uh, a, a Trumpy character who is crashing around all over the place. But the comments from Cummings are, are fun, fun to read and sort of uh, affirm what we sort of suspected about how Johnson operates. Well, there we have it. Uh, that was the Dawn Chorus. Bit of a special on the monetary policy statement because that's what I do for fun. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back again tomorrow on the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey with a Dawn Chorus.